We're going to be covering Leviticus chapter 11 through 15, but not like you think, okay? So I just want to tell you in advance that uh, Leviticus chapter 11, chapters 11 through 15 are when Gentiles read them, like us, we read about things such as clean and unclean animals. Things you can eat, things you can't eat, cloven hooves, non-cloven hoof animals, fish with scales, fish that don't have any scales, creeping things and bugs that join it at the right places, these things you can eat, and unclean animals. And then you get into, in chapter 12, you get into the rituals that are supposed to happen after childbirth, and all of those things, and then you get into uh, uh, the law concerning leprosy. And uh, those kinds of things, and what you do when you have a garment that has leprosy in it, uh, the ritual for cleansing of lepers. And then finally, chapter 15, you get into uh, the law concerning bodily discharges. So, we knew those chapters were coming, right? Fortunately, uh, as I was reading it, and you can go ahead and read that, that's all part of the biblical text. Uh, You'll be puzzled probably just about as much as anyone else is concerning them. I can't tell you why, even after being in Israel, why it's not okay to eat shrimp or, or, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of bottom mollusks and things. We don't know why exactly. No one can say why, what what makes kosher, kosher, why... You can't eat a rabbit. We don't know. There's, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I've read and I've read and I don't know. No one knows why I, this bug is clean and that bug is not clean. I don't want to eat any bugs. Okay. There are those in our world today that want us to eat cricket meat, but crickets all squished up look like tobacco. And uh, that's just gross. But there are about four or five passages that coalesce to surmise these, these chapters. And if you'll stand for, for the reading of God's Word with me and turn to chapter 11, we will read the first of these passages. <clears throat> the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 46 and 47 to tell you why. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps on the earth. Notice verse 47. To distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. Then if you'll turn over to chapter 15, verse 31, specifically. Chapter 15, verse 31. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us, because... Uh, Your word says that every word of God is pure and uh, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be uh, equipped, thoroughly complete for every good work. 
And we lean on your word. And we also know these things that are in the Old Testament are hard to understand for us, this far removed. But yet they are there. And you, you uh, command us to seek to understand it. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to impart the truth of what these chapters are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> commentator Jay Schuyler, who has a wonderful commentator, or commentary on the book of Leviticus, comes out of his work and his dissertation on Leviticus. It's probably one of the newest ones, actually. He's a younger guy. Uh, probably just a hair younger than me, I'd like to think. But uh, anyway, he wrote a wonderful thing on this, surmising these chapters. He said, The Lord was now dwelling in the Israelites' midst in the holy place. And we've covered that. The tabernacle's in the midst of the people. And it was important that they did not disrespect him by defiling his dwelling with their ritual impurity. And as a result, the priests were responsible for teaching them how to distinguish between various ritual states, impure, pure, holy. And this comes out of Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 10. And especially how to address their ritual impurity. We don't think much in terms of ritual impurity these days, but we'll cover that in a second. Leviticus chapters 11 through 15 meets this need, describing the causes of ritual impurity and how to address it properly. These laws served as a reminder to seek purity in all of life. And and there you have it. That's what these are there for. To to try to figure out why certain animals are clean and unclean is for us, and, and, and importation to us, not really the point as much as we still too must seek to be reminded of purity in all of life, the holiness of God in what we do in our life. The Old Testament regularly uses the language of ritual purity and impurity to describe the moral purity the Israelites are to have and the moral impurity they are to avoid. Amen? I mean, that's what we're supposed to live today. This suggests that laws on ritual purity and impurity were to provide the Israelites with a constant reminder, just as you seek ritual purity in all of life, so do likewise in terms of moral purity. So, as we live in the Christian life, we seek to keep ourselves undefiled. We're commanded to do so in the New Covenant, undefiled from the world, okay, Uh, to not partake of those things which we used to partake of. Uh, a Christian has no business going into clubs and, and bars and those places. Uh, now, there's a line there, though. What do you do with a place like Applebee's or Chili's or these bars and grills? You know, I think we have one in, in Jerome now called the 208 area code. Okay. Uh, well, c- clearly it's supposed to be a hybrid half and half. And I personally have never felt a problem going into those places. But that's where the New Testament law of loving my brother would come into play to say if I was to take a brother or sister a couple out to lunch and I knew that one of them had been struggling with alcohol or whatever, we're not going to be going to a place like that. I'm not going to do that to them. I'm going to be, consci- I'm going to be sensitive to their conscience on that. So uh, also in our homes, we pipe in filth on our TV sets. We don't need to be doing that. We are, we're supposed to re- abstain from all appearances of evil, and there's a lot of appearance of evil on the TV sets. All the old-time preachers were right on that, by the way. So if you've ever mocked them before, you should repent just like I did. Okay? Um, 
we've seen. That's just the sewer line right straight out of Hollywood, right into your living room floor and into your soul. There are some verses, though, that we should look at in Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 through 5. Notice this. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's who can do it. Who can stand before God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you're under the old covenant of law, you did through the ritual, uh, ritual purity, the ritual sacrifices, all of those things. You, you brought it and that's how you did that. That's how you maintained your walk with God. Through the priestly uh, mediation and that's how you did it. How do we do it? We come to Christ once. We come in repentance. We come in desperation. We come in brokenness. We lean on Him and give Him our life. The scapegoat of our life was Him. The, the, the atoning sacrifice was from Him. And that atonement was supplied to us. He did it. It's His righteousness. We come and we live now after having been to the cross, to Christ. And now we live this life not in things we do to keep purity, but by His constant purity that is constantly cleansing us. It never stops. Okay, A lot of old hymns on that too. Well, who may stand those who have been uh, clean hands and who have a pure heart? And notice this last part. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I just want to put to rest a myth right now. Jesus... Jesus' resurrection was no small thing. It changed everything. He has all authority in heaven and on earth now. He is ruling and reigning now. And the scriptures lately that come to mind for me on that is the fact that he's ruling and he's reigning progressively until he puts all his enemies under his feet at which case in which case the last enemy that will be defeated is death they all will be put down the earth is the lord's in all its fullness it has not stopped being the lord's in all its fullness he founded it Jesus created it. Colossians. So, as his people, we better be careful to not lift up our soul to an idol. And I fear today, as I think more and more about the American church, and this didn't become more clear to me until after I went to Israel. The very things that brought AD 70 upon them and the judgment of God then are the very things they continue to do now. They still desire to appeal to the letter of the law, making the obvious nudge here or there to suit whatever. But they can be right with it in their mind, missing the whole point of the relationship with God in the midst. The temple's gone. 
It's not there. Those of you who went, you all heard, not a single shard left of that temple. And I'm glad they don't, because you know what? If they had a shard left, you know what they'd be doing? They'd be worshiping it. But I also fear for this weird monstrosity of Christianity called American Christianity or Western Christianity. The more you come to know the Lord and the entirety of His Word, the parallels become uncanny. Many of us are very good at going to church. In fact, in some of the southern churches, you get a pen for having never missed a Sunday in a year. And some of them, these older folks will go up and they'll have a whole, you know, lots of fishing tackle there. And they, they, they just, and, and okay, yes, it's good to be in the house of the Lord and it's good not to miss. But I fear it shifted, see, the motivation's a little different. Maybe not miss a Sunday, you may even have a Bible in your house, you may even casually read it. But your heart is a million miles away to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To be holy as He is holy. To pursue peace with all people. And to walk worthy of the Lord. These are the things that God asks us to do. And what do we do as American churches and American Christianity? Well, we create... We make the church look like the world. The scripture isn't enough. So maybe if we add smoke machines, it might help. You know, we got to attract the masses. You've heard me mention, and I've kind of said it as a joke... But seeker-friendly churches really are counterintuitive to the gospel message. Because the scripture makes it very clear that there are none who seek after God. They don't seek, so what are you trying to market for? You're trying to market for a market share. It's called capitalistic Christianity. Get all you can. Can all you get. Throw away the rest and sit on the lid. Okay? Market the name. Brand yourself. Have a cool website. Just anything to get the people in to make yourself palatable to a godless culture. Meanwhile, no one seeks after God and the church becomes more like the world than the church than they should. That's not purity. That's not distinction. That's not consecration. That's capitulation. And look, at where, look where it's led our young people to. You tell me to believe in God and how He'll change your life, and I look at you and I think, why? That's what they'll tell you. Hard message. Nor lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just want to give you all the glory in this. I want to thank you for all the awesome things you've made me to do, and I just couldn't be anything without you because I know I'm just that great. We've all heard those things before. Where's the humility in the American church today? Where is the gratitude for having been saved from the judgment to come? Where is it? But the worship made me feel so good. Anytime I hear that anymore, and I hear it a lot, I just literally want to throw up and slap somebody. Because I ask the very next question, tell me what they preach about. What did the scripture say? 
Did the music move you? If the electricity would have went out and all they'd have been left with up there was a guitar, not amped, no words on the screen, would you have been so moved? That's the extent of the American experience in Christianity. We must have a reformation. We must come back to the principles that Christ died for. And it isn't showmanship. And it isn't a substitution by all things secular. It's the sacred. And he defines them. And we see a shadow of that under this old covenant. We laugh at the, at the food laws, right? Like, I don't know why you can't eat an eel. I've never had eel, so I don't know. Catfish has smooth skin. It's pretty good. But I know this, as we're about to see, it was all a reminder that they were to be a distinctly holy people because they were chosen by God to declare His praises to the world. That's our job. That's what they were for. That's what these things remind you of, as we shall see. Well, go back to the last, these other verses. Isaiah 1.16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, and that still maintains that admonition today. Jeremiah 4.14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness. Jerusalem was the seat of where the temple stood. That you may be saved. Oh, how long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Oh, Christian. And I had to say to myself, oh, Mickey, how long? Will your evil thoughts lodge within you? Avail yourself on the mercy of Christ. And plead, Lord, purge this from me. Every day, purge it from me. Cause me to cease. Travis is always praying, Lord, less of me, more you. And that really goes back to John the Baptist when he was saying that he who comes... After me is more than me. After we get through the food laws and we talked about all those things, we went through this verse, these verses in Leviticus 11, 44 through 47. It says, For I am the Lord your God. Now notice this. So we go slowly through it. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. So that's the first admonition. And we've talked about that. Sanctification is a one-time act of God, in which case He sets you apart unto Himself for all eternity. He who promises faithful, who also will perform it, is your sanctification. Consecration. That's on you. To learn that has been kind of freeing. Consecration. Every day, you consecrate this day to the Lord. Consecration. No matter what you do, And some of it's challenging, depending on what you do. For those of you in law enforcement, I wonder how that works out. But you're still called to do it. Because you serve the king. You have a king who reigns. You are his ambassador. Even though you wear a badge of a state and of a much lower government. You represent the king. And whatever it is you do, again, you could even be alone working on an 82 F-150. Okay, and your knuckles can slide off the ranch, bash against the corner of something, and suddenly all kinds of things of fire and brimstone come into your mind about what you might like to do 
to this ridiculous contraption. But even there, even though you're alone, and even though no one can see, your king sees. This is our consecration, and you shall be holy, command. For I am holy, God says. Why should we be holy? Because God is Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Because we know in these days, they worshipped everything like that. They made a molded image of it. They made a totem pole of it, a statue. Whatever they could do. And God is setting them apart from their time spent in Egypt. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And he said, did you notice the repeat? Why does God repeat things in Scripture like that? My dad used to say, don't make me tell you again. Well, that brought a lot of fear and trepidation. And then I got worried about my memory. What was it exactly? Was, was there a comma or a, you know? But I understood the point. I've told you what I want done. I mean for you to do it. I've actually heard those words before. And God has said, I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy because I am holy. But, and, and he writes on, this is the law of the animals and the birds and every, every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth. To distinguish. Now there it is. There's your answer. To distinguish. Now, to employ some Hebrew here. Again, this is in the hiphil stem of this verb. To distinguish. This is where what is being done is causing you to do something. These laws are causing you, what does it say? To remember that you're supposed to be holy and distinct in the earth. To mark something as different from something else, either physically or perceptually. You should be different. A Christian should be different. You should be different. We should be different. I never forget the words of Matt when he stood up here after having been in Africa and t- teaching about Marita- Marit- uh, Maritania. Maritania. And the brothers who over there, when you become a Christian, automatically it's against the law. And you have a death sentence on your head the moment you get caught. No questions asked. And all they want to do is go share their faith. They don't worry about smoke in the, in the sanctuary or a light show or a cool guitar solo. Well, it may feel so good. I know it's funny, but it's not. Because that's exactly what we see being marketed as Christian faith today in this nation. And it's being exported around the world. But these brothers... They come in quickly where, where, it's, where it's at least uh, uh, tolerated to be taught. Matt teaches them the basics of the gospel and then sends them out as fast as they can to share their faith, not knowing if they'll ever return for part two of that training. Wow. What different things they must think about when it comes to the issues of Christ. And they live and they have to live in such a way that the people they're going back to knows that Isa is with them.
In Leviticus 15.31, we have our remaining, we are our remaining verses. So we covered the animals, the clean and the unclean. This, this chapter is coming on after the leprosy laws and then after the laws of childbirth and then after the laws of bodily discharges. It's quite the read. But at the end of it, in verse 31, he writes, Thus you shall separate. God says you shall separate. Thus you shall separate. Do you get it? You shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness. I want to remind us all of something. There is, there is this law that God has put within His creation, especially within the human economy. It's a spiritual law, and it's this. Be sure your sins will find you out. Man, it may take a little while, but boy, when it hits, it hits with a fervor. You cannot keep it hidden. It will come to light. That's why the best thing to do is to come before Christ in humility and say, here is my wicked scheme. Lord, free me from it. Oh, I'm not talking to lost people on this either. This is to Christians. In our first study of Behold, no, it was the uh, uh, Seeking Him, a book on personal revival. We read story after story of people who in their past had cheated on exams or cheated on an interview to get a high-level government job. And this particular one, I can't remember exactly what it was he applied for, but he lied. He had become a Christian after the fact. And he was so convicted by his lie that I believe he had to go back to Canada and they were going to put him in prison because he told the truth. But the conviction of the Lord was so great upon him that he took that sentence and he had to serve however many years it was. He had a family. But, but in the interview with him and the, the people write, how are you doing? He goes, the freedom of my soul. Before the Lord makes every day a gift here. And when I am released, I will be released. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. Again, you've got to get this picture. All twelve tribes stacked around that tabernacle in a certain prescribed way. God dwelling right in the midst. The Shekinah glory of God, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night over the holiest of holies of that portion of the tabernacle. And if they presumptuously come in like we were talked about last week and they think they're just going to do it their way and supply God with instruction on how they think he ought to be done, they fried like sausage just like we saw Nadab and Abihu did. Well, I want to kind of bring that up to speed for you a little. You know that cloud that dwelt over the holiest of holies? That fire that was there at night that you could look upon? It's not there anymore over that tent. It's right here. Do you think you have any less reason to be presumptuous? 
Do I think that I can somehow, because of the grace of Christ, presume upon that gospel message and do what I want to do the way I want to do it? No. There there were those in the New Testament that died because of unrepentant sin in their life. You say, well, you're just trying to be scary. I'm trying to be biblical. And that's the complete biblical narrative It's by the mercy of God that God doesn't wipe us all out. It's by His love that He restores us. But I'll say this much, and I don't understand it altogether. There are some things we can get ourselves into. That'll cost us, even as Christians. I'm glad my salvation isn't based upon my my works. But boy... My consecration should be something I should take very seriously. Again, this word separates in the hyphal stem. It means to keep separate, to cause, to remain separated from something. In other words, all these laws that you have to do, as he's talking to the children of Israel under the Old Covenant, will ca- they will cause you to remember who I am among you And that you are to remain separated from the world to me. And it still hasn't changed. Guess what law we serve now? The law of Christ. Yes. And it's a weightier matter. The book of Hebrews tells us the dangers of crucifying again the Lord afresh. Oh yeah, we have a loving Savior. And when you're truly born again by the Spirit of God, you hunger for the things of God. We have babies in this church. It's amazing. And I love that they're toddling around and doing things and young children. They're alive. They make noises because they're alive. Okay. They toddle because they're growing. This is one place they ought to be able to come and say, this is what it's like to have church family. Living things grow. Dead things don't grow. I had to talk to a family this week, and I had to say something hard. None of us want to hear it. But sometimes, we don't need to ask God to bring somebody back. We need to ask God to make somebody live. We need to stop excusing the sin we see. When there's no life, there's no proof of life. There's just death. I have a lot more I could say on this. kind of out of time, but I'll, I'll finish it with this much. We are, in this age, the Israel of God. The Scripture tells us so. We are His people. The church has not replaced Israel. That's wrong. The church is the completion of Israel. One day, God is going to deal with Israel in whole And bring a great awakening among them. 
and, and, and we've been grafted into that cultivated olive tree. But just like us, they too will have a remnant. That's why it says in Revelation, they are of every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be gathered. Because that's of the seed of the faith of Abraham. So we got to be very careful about removing ourselves too far from the Old Testament. We don't stand under their, their dietary laws. We're not commended on how we keep the Sabbath per se as, as you know, technically or any of those things. But we are, to, we are to shine as lights in the world like Christ said and we are to model the purity of what those things represented. That we are to be a distinct and holy people consecrated to the Lord our God in every single thing we do. It's not about also giving myself a list of things to mark off to make sure I'm right. It's about being sensitive to the fact that Jesus, that, that glory cloud is right here. And where I go, He goes. What I watch, He sees. What I listen to, He hears. What I say, He's a witness to. What I think about, He knows about. See? Everything external in the Old Testament went internal. We're under the law of Christ. But no less serious, no less important. Much more victorious, much more certain, much more perfect. That's the gospel today. Today we're going to go share with people how they can know Christ and be set free from sin. We're not going to try to lead them in a silly prayer to make themselves feel good. We're going to present the gospel and let the sovereign God deal with them. That's what we're going to do. And and we're going to plant that seed, praying that it will germinate, just like one is going to testify today just how that happens. That's That's our mandate, church. We are to be a consecrated and holy people.